This episode of the MedSort Podcast is brought to you by Arena. Arena works with medical device manufacturers to help them bring their products to market quicker and more cost-effectively through their cloud product lifecycle management system. Arena's product lifecycle management system allows every participant throughout product development and commercialization to work together in a centralized system and effectively keep track of product designs, engineering changes, and associated product information to accelerate the design and delivery and ensure regulatory compliance of quality medical device products. You can find out more at arenasolutions.com. Hello and welcome to this episode of the MedTalk Podcast, where we discuss the latest news and issues in life sciences. I'm your host, Ian Bolland, Acting Group Editor of Life Sciences of Rapid News Group. Today I'm joined by Ashley Batchen, Regulatory Affairs Manager at the British In Vitro Diagnostics Association. Recently, the government published a consultation from the MHRA, outlining what the regulatory landscape for medical devices and in vitro diagnostics looks like in the United Kingdom post-Brexit. Myself and Ashley briefly talk about what's in the consultation, how closely aligned it is to regulations in the European Union, the differences that we may see with the UKCA mark, what BIVDA members have said, and we consider what the final regulations may look like. Anyway, Ashley, thank you very much for joining us on the MedTalk podcast to uh, talk us through the MHRA's uh, consultation publication about the future of medical device regulations in the UK. First of all, given that your you are the regulatory specialist, I'm right in thinking, at BIVDA. Can you give us your initial thoughts on the outcome of the consultation broadly? Yeah, of course. Well, uh, firstly, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy to be here. It's, it's such an important topic, so it's something that uh, I'm, I'm keen to, to talk through, make sure that everybody kind of understands exactly what the uh, response actually means. I think that it is, it is a really positive step. MHRA have done a fantastic job on getting out and getting out with such a a thorough document like they have. They cover a whole host of information within there. I mean, it it totals 155 pages, so it's not a a small project by any means. Uh, And it it definitely is welcomed by the industry. I think that it's been coming for a long time. I think we were initially told that it was going to come in March. uh, And now here we are in July with it actually being published. uh, And it's hugely, hugely welcome for sure. There's a couple of things that I would um that I'd like to touch upon that that have been claimed with, within this. I mean, if you actually look at the executive summary, for example, it's probably been consistent with a lot of things that we've seen over the past three years from the government themselves, where they say it's setting world leading standard by building the UKCA mark as a global exemplar. I mean, what what have you seen within the detail of all this, which suggests which which could back up that claim or not, as the case may be. So MHRA have always been seen in the industry as being one of the world leading regulators for medical devices and for IVDs. Uh, that's that's a fact. They work closely with the FDA, who are also seen as world leading and various other key regulators within the field. I think the really great opportunity that comes with what MHRA are trying to do is the fact that they can take the regulation and they can apply it to exactly what the UK specifically needs for patients, for medical devices, for IVDs. And I think that that really is the silver lining to this consultation response. 
although industry generally want to align with IVDR, at least that's what BIVDA members have told me, um, I think that it is important to note that this is a real opportunity to build a world-class regulatory system within the UK that is exactly what the UK needs. And personally, I think that's what MHRA are referring to within their executive summary, where they say that it is um, the possibility for them to, to build on that and continue with that traction that they already have historically. When you mentioned the uh, the opportunity to build something that's tailored to more the UK's needs within the regulatory system, what specifically are you referring to there? So there's there's a lot of aspects to be honest. When the EU in vitro diagnostics regulation was being developed back in well prior to 2017 when it was actually published, I think it started in 2010 2012 time. Um, there was a lot of engagement from the UK and from MHRA in developing the IVDR. Now, the difficulty that comes with the way that the EU works is that there's 28 member states that are all trying to get their points across and build a regulation based on what they need within their their countries. That means that the UK, when they were pushing forward and developing the IVDR with the rest of the EU, there was a lot of aspects that either had to compromise on or had to drop out or have to kind of mould what it was they initially wanted to compensate for all of the other member states and make something that everybody is happy with rather than it being a specifically UK focused document. The difference now is that we don't have all of those extra voices coming into it. So um, there will probably be specific aspects that initially weren't relevant within the EU as a whole, but are relevant within the UK. For example, uh, managed service providers. Now, that's a concept where you have an organisation that themselves are likely a manufacturer and they supply their products into a pathology lab within the NHS and they pull in their own products, they pull in competitor products, they pull in various other sources and manage the whole scale of this lab. Now, that isn't a concept within the EU. That's UK specific. So that was never introduced within the IVDR because it doesn't affect any of the other member states, but it does affect the UK. So that's one real opportunity that MHRA has when developing this new regulation is to make sure that those kind of bumps are ironed out and it is reflective of the UK market specifically. So we've mentioned the differences there, and that's one difference that you've highlighted and anticipate. But how closely aligned do you think the the MHRA will eventually land when it becomes when, when comparing it to the EU regs, for example? Because it's, when when you've seen what medical device and diagnostics companies have had to do over the uh, over the last few years, there's, there's the compliance with MDR, then IVDR, and now there's going to be this new regulation coming down the track. There's a lot to untangle for them. Yeah, and I think that that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? How similar is it going to be to the EU? From the response that MHRA has published, for the most part, it actually is quite aligned to the EU, which personally I think is a positive step, purely because of the what you've just said, right? There's a lot of regulatory changes going on for companies at the minute. There's a lot of hurdles they're already having to, having to overcome to meet the, the compliance requirements that they have. So if MHRA can try and align as much as they can to the EU while having some changes specific for the UK, then that's obviously beneficial for industry because it makes it an easier route to market. I think the reality is that politics is going to come into it um, and Brexit because we left the EU, the UK public voted to leave the EU. That means that we want a different structure and we want different requirements to what the EU was giving us previously. So there is that political barrier stopping us from being completely aligned to the EU system. 
because it's not what the British public voted for and it's not what ministers are pushing for. Um, so I think that that's, that's the, the balance that MHR are really going to have to come up against. It's the balance between making sure that it's a realistic route to market, making sure that it's actually feasible for industry to continue to sell within the UK market, but also making sure that it meets what politicians, what ministers, what the British public generally, I mean, take what you want on whether people's opinions have changed since the vote, but the vote was the vote, you know, we have to follow it. Um, so that's that's the struggle that I think MHRA will have going forward because everybody in an ideal world would have EU alignment with medical device and IBD regulation. Okay, I mean, there's... Within the uh, the executive summary, the... It was okay, the the it was alluded to that this could make the UK a focus for innovation, the best place to develop and introduce innovative medical devices. Now, I think we've actually touched upon a couple of things that, given the close alignment of uh, the, the regulation to, you know, to to either Europe or, or America, because there's they're, they're the two massive me- medical device markets. It, I think. Would you agree that it's 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 crucial that they keep quite closely aligned to those markets so that anyone who's developing new innovations in the UK can almost easily transition into those markets? Yeah, I, I think it's essential. It's and, and that's the balance that I was talking about before. I the reality is that we're probably gonna have something similar to the EU IVDR with some kind of UK tweaks thrown in to make it divergent but also improve the system where it needs to be improved along with that the consultation response does talk about domestic assurance and other routes to market so there's the possibility of some kind of um matched conformity between the us between canada australia the uk but it doesn't actually go into detail on which countries are going to be reflective of that and I, i think that from the industry point of view having that kind of mutual recognition across different markets, of course, makes it a lot easier. And whether that's an abridged approach where for the most part it's reflective and you have to do specific extra requirements to to get onto the UK market on top of what you've already done, or if it's a, a more basic, yes, you're approved in this market, therefore you can now place in the market in the UK. That's a decision that will come through the regulation and potentially beyond that with Department of Trade and what other negotiations happen across the world but it's a matter of the fact that something like that does need to come into play the reality is that the UK market on the grand scheme of things is not a huge market Uh, and I think that MHRA and government generally need to remember that Uh, industry has commercial objectives behind them they need to to create money they need to sell Um, as much as I wish that it was all down to the fact that patients need to access products and it's the best for patients that isn't always what it comes down to. So if the UK market is too small and is too difficult to get into, then the fact is that companies just won't come into the UK market and they'll focus on other markets instead, which will obviously adversely affect the patients we have here. I can feel that your your members' views coming through in your response there in terms of the ease of access is, is basically a number one priority, whether that's for... Uh, attracting investment for, for, from abroad for themselves or indeed when they're trying to actually put their their products into other markets too. It absolutely is, yeah. The conversations I've had across our membership hugely reflect what I've just said in that some kind of domestic assurance is needed. 
in all honesty, most companies probably do look to go to other markets. So not just the UK, but they're looking to expand into the EU if they're not already there or looking to expand into the US if they're not already there. A company is very unlikely to stay within the UK and the UK only. Some of those companies exist, don't get me wrong, but there are companies out there that only do UK, but they're a minority in the grand scheme of the industry. So having that kind of um, mutual recognition and and being able to place on multiple different markets because of a streamlined regulatory approach is hugely, hugely beneficial for industry and therefore patients. Yeah, of course. I mean, as much as we've actually talked about the manufacturers here, it's the patients that need to use these at the end of the day. So exactly, there, there, yeah. is that, there, there, there is that element of if the regulations need to be almost seamless for us to get access to the, the best devices possible for, for the best patient outcomes. Yeah, and I, I think that that's, that is the difficulty. We need regulation, that's a fact. Medical devices and IVDs need a backbone to make sure that the products getting onto the market are safe and they're effective. But you need to have a line where regulation becomes too much regulation and it's too burdensome to actually do. So it needs to be realistic Thanks to Ashley for her insights so far. We'll be back after this short message from our sponsor. PTC by itself, I mean, uh, is a Boston-based company. Uh, we are uh, leading uh, when it comes to digital threat, uh, digitization, let's say. So uh, probably a lot of people know PTC from ProEngineer in the early days and now, now called Creo. And then PTC has a very broad portfolio now uh, across the, the value chain thinking from IoT solutions like ThingWorks, AR solutions like Buforia, uh, PLM solutions like Windchill and, and now Arena, uh, and also CAD solutions, uh, as I just mentioned, like Creo, but also a, a pure SaaS-based CAD solution like, like Onshape. So very broad portfolios serving multiple markets, uh, including life science. And that was a brief message from our sponsor, Arena, a PTC company. Now, let's get back to today's episode. The UKCA market is supposed to come into force in July 23, if I'm not mistaken. But there is quite a sizable amount of time for transition to the UKCA market. First of all, can I get your thoughts on the amount of time that is actually required for companies? And is it enough? Yeah, so... Um... In terms of what the actual consultation response itself says, it, it's a bit it's a bit confusing. So for IVD specifically, it's five years. That's a, a blanket number that they've given. Now the nuances come based on what certification you already have. If you have your certification under the IVDD in Europe or the existing UKCA system, then it's five years or until your certification expires, but your certification has to have been dated prior to the UKCA date of application, which based on assumptions we're assuming is 1st of July, 2023. If you have your certification to the IVDR, those five years or until your certification expires still applies, but your certification can be dated after the date of application. So next November, you can still get your IVDR certificate and then that's will take you basically to the end of the transition period. So for the, the extra five years. So what that means is that IVDR products are likely to stay on the market a little bit longer and not have to meet that transition endpoint um, later than the IVDD or UKCA products. And the reality is that a product can get on the market in five years. That's very realistic. A typical product is probably somewhere between 12 to 18 months to go through the process um, with a notified body and everything like that. 
The problem with the transition periods, and this is reflective in what's happening in the EU at the minute, is that we don't have enough approved body capacity to actually get those products onto the market and through the conformity assessments under the new UKCA. And that's assuming we started right now. We also don't even have the regulations. So even if approved bodies were ready and could start, they would be stopped by the fact that they don't actually know what they're assessing against yet. As much as we have the the draft um, response from the government, that isn't legally binding. They can't start conformity assessments based on a non-legally binding text. And we currently still only have three approved bodies for IVDs within the UK. So it's a complete bottleneck. I think that it's it's going to really struggle to get that five years. Um, and it's up to manufacturers and the approved bodies that we already have to make sure that they have the capacity in place to do that. And learning from how the EU has been affected, we have seven notified bodies within the EU at the minute for the IVDR. And we're still having a whole host of manufacturers struggling to get in contact with the notified body and getting their conformity assessments down. And that's predominantly why the EU had to introduce additional transition periods. When that came into force in the, or when it was published in 2017, the EU IVDR, that also gave five years of a transition period. And we're at the point now where they're having to push it back even further. So the chances of that happening with the UK is probably quite high unless we can really push forward on those approved bodies coming into place. You talk specifically from the IVD perspective there, of course, because you're the British In Vitro Diagnostic Associations, but this is also a problem for medical device regulate, medical device regulation and medical device manufacturers too, I'm right in thinking, because they pretty much go through the same kind of process. Yeah, they do, they do. Um, I mean, the, the difference in the consultation response is that medical devices have been given three years, IVDs have been given five years. And the reason for that is because the scale of change in regulation for IVDs versus medical devices is it's crazy, the difference. I mean, basing it on Europe, the difference between the medical devices directive into the MDR, um, it was a big change, don't get me wrong, it's a lot for manufacturers to do. But when you compare it to the IVDD into the IVDR, it's basically a whole new book. It's not even a new chapter. Um, and that change is a lot for manufacturers to do within a short period of time. Um, and because of that, that's why the transition periods are different for different products. I mean, the medical devices in Europe at the minute are going through the same issue where there aren't enough notified bodies and they have significantly more. Um, but it's I, I'm speaking from the IVD point of view, like you said, because I'm from Bivdom, because all of our uh, manufacturers and representatives within our membership are IVD companies. But to put it into perspective for why IVDs are going to have such a, a more difficult time going forward with this at the minute 20 so percent of products um, on the market in the eu go through notified body approval for ibds 20 under the new proposed classification system for the uk and the existing classification system now in the eu 80 percent of products will need to go through notified body review so it's a huge jump from what we currently have going through the conformity assessment bodies to what we're going to be having going through the conformity assessment bodies. And that significant change isn't as reflective for medical devices. It, it does uh, strike me somewhat that with as part of the preparation for this, that the UK could have had a look at everything that the, the EU has gone through with MDR and IVDR in terms of notified body capacity. And basically what should... What, what seems to be missing from this consultation, from my reading of it, is a plan to actually upscale that capacity of notified bodies in the UK. 
Yeah, I mean, they've indicated that they're looking to designate designate more bodies within um, the UKCA structure. So EU notified bodies, I know some of them are going through the the process at the minute to become UK approved bodies. But I think the, the, the real backlog here also has to take into account the restructuring that MHRA has had over the past year or so, because the, there isn't enough resource to designate those notified bodies and approved bodies in the first place. Um, and that's that's the bottleneck that we're really seeing, because there just aren't enough approved bodies coming through that designation process to start the ball rolling with manufacturers to get these conformity assessment certificates. And when you couple that with the fact we don't have the regulations and that the time is already kind of ticking down, it, it kind of feels like we're going towards a, a bit of an issue further down the line. We mentioned earlier on in this in this episode about just the inevitable inevitability the pol- politics takes over when it, when it comes to the you know how closely aligned we are with the EU regulations. You know, we we, vo- we voted to leave the European Union. Therefore, it is a case of we're not going to be exactly the same as the the EU regs. But I am wondering how mu- how much of an effect that the current upheaval in the UK political system at the moment where there's going to be another change of leadership at the top of government and then there's a general election two years down the line how much of an effect this could have on you know, a, a smooth transition basically Well the um, Secretary of State for Health has obviously changed and seems to keep changing um, that has a, a big drive on what the regulations will likely to be but saying that the team within MHRA and the team within DHSE who are working on these regulations, I think now based on their consultation response, they have the key and driven pathway that they're hoping to go forward for for regulations. So I'd like to think that the kind of upheaval going on at the minute won't have a huge impact purely because they've already spoken about what they want to do and where they're aiming to go. If there was to be any changes further down the line and the regulations didn't reflect the consultation response, I think there would be an awful lot of backlash coming from industry uh, because companies are already starting working towards the steps that have been laid out within the consultation response. Whether that's appropriate or not, because it's not legally binding, then that's a decision for industry themselves to make. But I definitely know of companies that are already starting down that road. So if there was a huge change and the regulations weren't reflective of that, it's it's probably not going to go down very well by industry. Um, and by all the other organisations within the supply chain who are actively working towards that. Okay, Ashley, thank you very much for your summary and for your expert insight on all things regulation, both in, you know, both what might be in the UK and what's currently going on in Europe. So uh, thank you very much for your time today. No, that's okay. Thanks so much, Ian.